We are in a series of talks that we're calling Reset. And the genesis of this really is we're asking the question, what does Jubilee look like in our lives? What is this, this promise of Jubilee that we run into in the book of Leviticus, this year of great expectation and great grace, this year of the Lord's favor that Jesus called it in, uh, Jesus quoted it in Isaiah 60, 61, this year of the Lord's favor, what does it actually look like in our lives? How can we step into this season of jubilee. How, how can this be something we don't just talk about, but something that actually affects and resets and shifts everything in us? The beautiful thing about grace is that it makes us new. The story of the gospel, the story of Jesus, is a story of restoration. It's a story of transformation. It's a story of healing and redemption and um, last week, if you missed it, I want to encourage you, go back and watch that message or listen to it, um, because a lot of what we're going to be talking about today stands on the shoulders of last week's message, that we have to understand that we're being restored, that not just our bodies can be restored in God, our minds, our emotions can be restored in God. Today, we're going to be unpacking something that is going to be familiar to all of us. And if you're a note taker, you know how I feel about you. I love you. And if you're not, I want to pressure you to become one. So you can go back and that you can read some of the things that stuck out at you. It could be a part of your quiet time tomorrow morning because we got to rehearse these things to get them in our minds. The title of this message is, What Do I Do When It Feels Like My Dream Is Dying? What do I do when it feels like my dream is dying? There is a lot of pain and unfulfilled promises. There's a lot of pain and unfulfilled promises promises. 2005, 2011, my beautiful wife, who's actually in Kansas City with one of my sons this morning, he's playing a soccer game. They actually start in just a little bit. So at 12 o'clock, shoot up a prayer for Kev. 2005, 2011, almost 12, we lived in Seattle, Washington. We planted a church there that's called Mosaic. And uh, it was amazing. We, we like to say it was the best of times and the worst of times at the same time. It was amazing, it was beautiful, but it was hard, and it was challenging. And, and we had been there for a couple of years, and we had a team that was there with us, and we were really just doing everything that we could just to love our neighbors as ourselves, to share the gospel, pray for the sick, just saying, God, would you interrupt people's lives with the story of your glory? You don't go to Seattle, Washington to regather Christians because there's just barely any there. You, you go to see people give their life to Jesus, experience the transformative nature of relationship with him, and then get plugged into God's plan A to bring transformation on the earth, which is the local church. And so we were just going for it, and we were just giving it everything that we had, and we were tired. 
We, we had kind of been pushing and grinding and praying and believing. And I looked at my team one day. I was like, man, we need kind of a break. And Seattle's up way up north. And so we're really close to Canada. And so we're like, let's just do like a little weekend trip. Let's just all go up to Vancouver, B.C. and just see what Canada has to offer, you know. And then so we, we did that, right? We, we got an Airbnb, did the whole deal. We go up there. Turns out Canada doesn't really have anything to offer. So you don't need to go. We checked it out. It's, there's just really nothing there. I'm joking. If you're from Canada, bless you. Love you. Thank you for syrup. Um, and so we go to Vancouver, and we're just walking down the street. And I don't know if you guys remember the craze that swept the earth uh, called parkour. <laughs> Do you guys remember this? Like, you know, early 2000s, you know, it kind of became a thing, and... Uh, it was like in the Bond films, and if you don't know what it is, it's like a combination of aerobics, like being an acrobat, being a gymnast, and being really creative. And so your goal is to get from point A to point B in the coolest, most creative way possible. And parkour was like all over Seattle. Like you could not walk down the street and not see people jumping from handrail to handrail and bat flipping off onto a ledge. It was everywhere. And so we're in Vancouver, B.C. My buddy Brian, who was on our team, an absolute legend, jumps off the curve, does a little 360 spin, and just screams parkour. I thought it was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life, right? I was like, this is hilarious. And he keeps doing it. And as he's doing it, I'm like, you know what? I need to, do, I need to bust something out. I'm not a gymnast. I'm not an acrobat. But I can be creative. I was like, this, this is my moment. I'm, I'm going to jump into the world of parkour with both feet, literally. And so I look ahead, and there's a staircase, and then there's a marble wall on the building next to the staircase. I'm like, I got it. I'll run, jump off the staircase vertically, tap the marble wall with my feet. Granted, I can't do any of this. But in my mind, it's going to look cool. Tap the wall with my feet, jump from the wall vertically back and land on my feet because that's how it works. That's how gravity works, right? So without announcing anything, without saying anything, without telling people, hey, watch this, I just take off running, jump off the stairs, totally sell out, man, like totally vertical in the air. My feet hit that little marble wall I was going for, but I don't jump off of it. Guess what happens? I just fall straight down. <laughs> and it was one of those moments where I slammed so hard that I was actually hurt. So it, was, it wasn't, you know, everyone's like, ha, 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 and I'm kind of riling on the ground, and I'm so, like, affected. I try to pop up to be like, I'm okay, and realize I'm not okay, and fell back down. Like, I have blood gushing out of my knee, my elbow. Like, not like, oh, you got a little scratch. This is like my white sock is turning red, gushing. It's so crazy. People are now gathering, doing the old, are you okay, dude? You know, Canadians at their finest, right? Are you okay? Do you need some help? And I'm like, no, 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 I'm good. My buddy Brian picks me up. Okay, now granted, my wife... Three other girls that are on our team are just staring in disbelief, right? Liz is like, you are an idiot. 
And so like, I'm like hobbling, limping. They have to carry me. There's so much like carnage that they carry me into a Starbucks and Liz just runs to the counter and says, please, do you have a first aid kit? And at first they look at her like, what? Why do you need a first aid kit? And then they just gaze at me and they just, it literally, it's like the entire team at Starbucks stopped what they were doing, ran into the back, got the first aid kit and ran out like I looked horrible. I can't do parkour. But I learned something very important in Vancouver. And that is when things don't end the way that you think they're going to end, it hurts. You with me? When things end in a, in a way that you're not expecting, 100% of the time, pain is involved. You know, I um, have had lots of opportunities in my life to jump off proverbial marble walls thinking that one thing was going to happen and then experiencing another thing. And that pain, that pain of disappointment, that pain of death, that pain of fear, is real. We live in a city that has an entrepreneurial spirit. Have you felt that? If you didn't know that, you need to know that. There's a reason why Elon Musk moved here. And it wasn't just for a tax break. There's a spirit here. There's an entrepreneurial spirit here that hovers over our city. People come here to create things, to do things, to build things, to start things that are going to change and affect the world. And you know what goes hand in hand with an entrepreneurial spirit is failure. You don't know anyone who has tried to start something that was successful in their first attempt. No one. Everyone knows the old adage, right? Like your failures don't define you. How many of you heard that? Right? And they'll tell you like, you know, well, Thomas Edison, he failed. What was it? Like a thousand times, maybe more. How many? I wrote it down. A lot. <laughs> he failed a lot. And they'll tell you like he failed all these times before he got it right. And so you can start to think like, okay, well, I, I need to muscle through this failure because it's true. Your failures don't define you, but your failures do affect you. It affects you. The pain of disappointment has an effect on you. And, uh, you know, Abraham understood this. Abraham lived this. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Genesis 12. Genesis 12. We're going to find the beginning of the story of Abraham. At this point in the story, his name is actually Abram. And this, Genesis 12, is when God interrupted his story. 
And just a side note, how many of you are thankful that we serve a God who interrupts our story for his glory? God interrupted Abram's story at age 75. God jumped in and declared identity over him. This is what Genesis 12, verse 1, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, if you grew up in church, we know a lot more than Abram knew when he heard this. We read this through the lens of knowing the end of the story, that this was the beginning of of God beginning to carve out for himself a people on the earth that would represent him, that his glory would move through. And it is through the line of David, which traces back to Abraham, that we find Jesus, the Messiah, coming to earth. We know that, and so we read Genesis 12, and we think like, wow, this is so cool. What a cool start. God just interrupts this guy's life and just jump starts a rescue mission, and he puts him right in the middle of it. But Abram didn't know that. All Abram knew is that he had a lifestyle, 75 years long of a life that was filled with disappointment and failure. They couldn't start a family. And in Genesis time, that was everything. Felt like he was failing at being a, obviously a father, a man. The setbacks, the hard times, the difficulty. That's what Abram knew. Abram said, you know what? I'm not fruitful. I'm fruitless. So God spoke to him an incredible, incredible promise. But we have to understand that when he heard you're favored, you're blessed, and you're going to be the father of all nations, that promise landed for sure with hope and encouragement. It landed on a heart at the same time that was calloused and full of disappointment. Because they had tried to start a family for their entire marriage and they had failed time and time again. And now this promise that not only are you going to have a family, but you are going to birth a nation. How many of you can relate to the disconnect of what you feel like God is telling you and what you're looking at? The magnitude of the promise, the magnitude of what God is stirring in you, the dreams that you're carrying the things that God deposited in you, the desires of your heart. It feels huge. And it feels impossible. It feels big. It's scary. But some of you in this room, God has spoken to you about solutions to problems that seem to be unsolvable in our culture. You know how I know that? Because God wants the church to be a source of solutions. 
So I know that some of you are burning for things. You're dreaming into things that God put in you because God wants to use you. I, I met with a guy a couple of weeks ago, and he is studying how bacteria can eat plastic to solve the plastic pollution problems that are going on in the ocean. And I was like, dude, what a crazy, he's getting his PhD. I'm like, what a crazy, how do you come up with that? He was like, well, I, I was praying one day, and God spoke to me and said, you know what? I put in the earth what the earth needs to heal itself. And I want you to discover that. Cool. <laughs> Huge, right? We're going to take care of plastic in the ocean, where they are right now, working in little Petri dishes. There's a gap between where we are and where we want to be. And how we learn to live in that delay. Am I talking to anybody? How we learn to live in that middle space, that in-between space, is massive if we want to grow in maturity and grow in understanding who God is and who he's called us to be. I was talking to another guy. He's actually sitting right up here. I'm, I'm going to use your line. I told you I would, so we're good. Talked to another guy this last week, burdened. Listen to this. God gave him the phrase, create ecosystems of wealth so that the things of God are never underfunded. Ooh. This is how our God works. Are you with me? He deposits in you things that are impossible. He puts in you dreams that are unfathomable, beyond your ability to even imagine them, and then he calls us to walk with him. And this is where, can I be real? This is where a lot of us step off the path. Because Abram did not become a nation in a day. It took years. Years of disappointment. Years of failure. We love to hear about these big things. We love to dream with God. We love to, to, to say, God, come on, use me to do big stuff. But, but dreaming it and living it are not the same thing. If we're going to step into what God has for us along the way, things are not going to go the way that we thought. And when things don't end up how we thought they were going to end up, it hurts. Life is full of setbacks and failures and disappointments and challenges. Because, but listen to me, just because something is hard doesn't make it bad. Can I give you some strength this morning? Just because something is hard, it doesn't make it bad. God uses our journey to refine us as he is faithful to fulfill what he has promised us. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 62, verse 8. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. This is a call for us to worship loud. Your voice should echo. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Verse 9, he has preserved our lives and he kept our feet from slipping. 
Somebody say amen. How many of you are thankful that we serve a God who protects us, who preserves us, who puts angels around us to encourage us and to hold us? Verse 10, for you, God, tested us. Uh Uh-oh. I don't like that one as much as preserves. I don't like that one as much as protected, but you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. God tests us and he refines us. What does that mean? Well, the process of refining fine metals is that you expose them to extreme heat. And as you expose them to extreme heat, it begins to melt. And when it melts, the impurities that are within that metal come to the surface and the refiner takes a skim, skims off the impurities off of the top, they let it cool, and then they do it again. And then they do it again. And then they do it again. Until the reflection of the refiner is seen in the metal. God refines us so that through that process, we can reflect him. That we can be made into his image. We're made in the image of God. But our sin nature, the brokenness that is in you and me, distorts that picture. We do things and say things that don't look or sound like Jesus. And so God uses life to refine us so that the image of God that we are called to be on the earth can be pure and seen. The psalmist in Psalm 66 tells us that God refines us like silver. And then he wrote, verse 11, it gets even more encouraging. You brought us, you brought us, you brought us into prison. Woo! You laid burdens on our backs. Come on, can we get a praise back? Right? You let people ride over our heads. I don't even know what that means. What is that? What are we talking about here? It sounds like they were defeated. We went through fire. And we went through water. You know what he's saying? We're burnt out and we feel like we're drowning. God, you, God, brought us into prison, laid burdens on our backs, let people ride over our heads. That just sounds terrible. And we went through fire and water. I don't know about you, but there's nothing in me saying amen right now. There's nothing in me going, woohoo. Come on, give me some of verse 11 in my life. Add this to the prayer list. I'm going to declare Psalm 66 verse 11. No, none of us are going to do that because this does not sound fun. This does not sound like victory. They were imprisoned. They were enslaved. People took advantage of them. They felt crushed, burnt out, like they were drowning, But look at the perspective of someone who's been refined. But you brought us 
to a place of abundance. I hope you see this. This is so important. We have to begin to see loss, delay, challenge through the lens of who God is. What's that mean, Pastor? It means that even though you still need to be delivered, God's a deliverer. Even though you still need to be comforted and you're not feeling the comfort of God, God's still the comforter. Just because you still need restoration, but in the middle of your brokenness, he's still a healer. Our culture tells us all day, every day, that things should be smooth and easy and fast and simple, and we buy it even though we know they're lying to us. We do it all the time, man. Just scrolling through YouTube, and there's about 27 million videos about how to make your life simpler by just doing a couple things. How to lose weight, just do this one thing. How to heal your relationship, just say this one thing. You want to make a million dollars? It's really easy. Just do this one thing. Right? And it should just be smooth and easy. And they're like, I did it. I did it in a day. Now everything is great. And we know they're lying. Like we know they're lying. But we still buy it because we want to. You hearing me? Humans don't like to be refined. We don't like the refiner's fire. So we're looking for a way out of the refiner's fire. We're not asking to be put into it. And so if someone's coming and saying, guess what? It's easy. It doesn't have to be hard. All you have to do is this. We're like, sure, I'll try it. Because delay, frustration, fear, disappointment, those things that have happened in our lives that did not end the way we thought they were going to end, they have left scars on our hearts. But I want you to write this down. Your pain has a purpose. Mm. Your pain has a purpose. Yeah, we got to process it. We have to process it, right? We, 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 have, we can't deny it. We can't just declare faith over it. I did that for many years. That doesn't work very well. We call not dealing with our hurt being filled with faith. No. You can be filled with faith and own that you hurt. It's not just saying, hey, look, I'm just going to declare faith over this and, and it, because I'm disappointed that this didn't happen the way I thought it was going to happen. That, that doesn't mean that you don't have faith in God Almighty. No, you got to deal with what you feel. That's what last week was all about, right? You got to know what you feel, why you feel it, and you got to know where to go with it because undealt with emotions, feelings, experiences turn into what? WMDs in our lives and relationships, met weapons of mass destruction. That's what undealt with emotions do in us, but they've been created by God to be what? POCs, places of connection. Thank you, somebody listen. And Psalm 66 is a powerful picture for us of what that really looks like. 
God, we love you. We worship you. We praise you. And guess what? Man, you made it hard for a little bit. But you're still good. And you're kind. And you're abundant. And you're a provider. We start to heal from hard times when we start to see that there is a redemptive purpose for those hard times. Romans 8, verse 18. I'm going to read quite a bit of scripture here. I hope you like the Bible as much as I do. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Are you kidding? That sentence in and of itself. That sentence, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. God's a refiner. He's refining us. And he's using the hard in our lives to be moments where his glory can come out of us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. Make sure you're understanding this. The frustration that it's feeling is not out of the choice of the creation, but the one who subjected it to frustration, who is the creator. God will use hard and turn it into good. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. This is Paul, the writer of this book, telling us that God is a refiner. That God refines us. Verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently for it. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. God. Now listen, verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. All things work for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed, shaped, refined into the image of his son, Jesus. 
that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And though he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Can you say amen? amen. God is a refiner. We're being conformed into his image. And God is using the frustrations and challenges that we face to be places of refinement, places where who we are can be transformed into a clearer picture of who he is. For Abraham... In Genesis 12, God spoke identity over him. He said, this is who you are. You're not fruitless. You're fruitful. You're going to be the father of many nations. But God is more after who we are becoming than he is about what we are doing. That's why there was 25 years between the promise and the breakthrough, because God is a refiner. He's after who we are becoming. The reflection that we are shining is way more important to him and his kingdom than the things that we are doing. And there were some things in Abram that God wanted to get out of Abram as he became Abraham. And what was in him is not unique to him, but is in all of us. It's the desire to use our own strength to make happen the promise that God's spoken to us. To use our own strength, our own desire, our own charisma, our own way to make happen something that God already has a plan to make happen. Happened. God spoke to Abram when he was 75 years old. He's already past the, the child-rearing age, if you will. He's 75 years old. God speaks to him. You're going to have a son. You're going to be the father of many nations. Your offspring is going to outnumber the stars in the sky. Ten years passes. Nothing changes. Ten years of great expectation, great faith, and great disappointment. Ten years of no fruit, ten years of waiting and wandering and waiting and wondering, and ten years of living in the painful place that is found in the in-between. Ten years of being in-between, and the in-between is filled with pain, frustration, disappointment. How many of you are in the in-between right now? God promised you your kid's going to return to Jesus. And it's been years and nothing has changed. God promised you that you're going to be married. And it's been years. And nothing has changed. You're in the in-between. God promised you that you're going to be healed. And it's been years and nothing has changed. And the tension of the in-between will test you. And it can refine you. But the temptation for all of us in the in-between is to find a way out. To find a way out of it. And it was this temptation that drove Sarai to come to Abram with an earthly solution to a spiritual promise. 
Genesis 16, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. This is 10 years from the promise. But she said, I have an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram goes, bet. He said, I agree. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar and she conceived. Now hear me. The first fruit of earthly solutions to spiritual promises is conflict. A hundred percent of the time. As soon as this house happened, Abram's household blew up. Hagar's mad at Sarah. Sarah's mad at Hagar. There, all this division is happening. It's super crazy. And then God speaks about Ishmael, the son that she's pregnant with. And this is what God said Ishmael was going to be like. He will be like a wild donkey. I'm not going to pray that over your children if I come see you in the hospital. Your child's going to be like a wild donkey of a man. No. He will be like a wild donkey of a man. Watch this. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. The fruit of trying to make things happen in your own strength is conflict. I don't know why sometimes the in-between can be so hard. Why disappointment can be so suffocating. I don't know why God uses failures. I I would have liked him to use different things. Donuts. Cake. Kalachis. Brisket. Pork ribs. Rice dressing. Sweet potato casserole. Why can't we use that? Why can't we have a meal and be transformed? Why does it have to be failure and disappointment and challenges? Because God is a refiner. I don't know why you're experiencing pain, but I do know that there's purpose for you in your pain. God is using what you're going through to deposit in us more of who he is. More of who he is. He's using the pressure, the pain, the delay, the frustration so that we can reflect him. So hear me, church. Don't let the enemy come and tell you that your delay is defeat. Come on. That's an amen moment. Don't let the enemy tell you that your delay is defeat. Don't let the enemy come and tell you that your pain is punishment. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Don't let the enemy come and tell you that your frustration is final. Because you're in process. There's a process that's happening. And Philippians 1 verse 6 says, Be confident of this, that he who began, began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 
Look, you might feel crushed. You might feel pressed. You might feel beaten up, but you're not down and out. You hearing what I'm saying, church? You can go through hard, and it doesn't mean that it's bad. You can go through challenges, and it doesn't mean that God's left you. He's using it to refine you. And if you're in the middle of something right now, man, I hate it. I hate that for you. It's real. It hurts. The in-between can be a dark place, but I want you to hear me. God is doing something in you in your pain. He's doing something in you. He is using this, this circumstance, this situation, this challenge. He's using it to refine you, to mature you, to grow you, to tell his story through you. He's dealing with some things in you so that you can be a reflection of him on the earth. Stand with me. If you are in the pain of the in-between this morning, I want to pray for you. I want our team to pray for you. And as always, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, you've never met Jesus, you've never given your life to him, the great rescuer, the great redeemer. Yeah, leaders, just begin to make your way up. The great healer. If you've never met him before, today can be your day. Some of our leaders are here. They're up here in the front. They're coming. Their leaders are coming. Leaders are coming. Leaders are coming. If you're a leader, start coming. If you want to be a leader, this is a great opportunity for you to become a leader. We pray for people at this church. Are you with me? God is a restorer, man. And he's here to meet you in the in-between, in the middle place. And if you're going through something this morning, and it's hard, and it's challenging, and it's dark, don't leave without God meeting you in that place and revealing to you in a fresh way some of the purpose that he has for you in the pain that you are in the middle of. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. We need you. We need you, God. We're asking that you would ignite our hearts on fire for you, that you would move in power in the place of the in-between, that you would show us who you are, you'd reveal your character to us. God, we love you, and as we worship and we respond to you, God, Lord, I'm asking for courage for people to make their way to the front and begin to say, I am in the in-between, and I need a word. I am beginning to wane on the promise. I need courage from heaven. I need strength from heaven. In Jesus' mighty name, we love you, God. We love you. Amen.